0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Wednesday afternoon, August 3rd. Really the dead of the offseason, but that kind of allows for a little bit of some fun content. We got some fun content here on this episode from someone who's putting together quite a cool story and quite a cool series. So we'll introduce our guest here momentarily. But first, ways you can keep in touch with the blog and with the podcast. So Grizzly Bear Blues is the Memphis Grizzlies blog for SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network can be found anywhere you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And there you can get every single episode of this show gbb live the flagship podcast for the grizzly bear blues podcast network alongside the starting five podcast, and soon you'll be getting next gen podcasts with bryson wright the return of the core four and then you'll also be getting grizzly bear bets podcasts you do not want to miss out on all the great content coming over here at grizzly bear blues but let's get into this show right here once again i'm your host parker fleming and with me i got a writer who has bylines over at Basketball News, SB Nation, Opta Analyst, Fan Forbes Sports. He is the series originator of the quest for the best and for blazing the trail. It's the brother of NBA Twitter, Matt Issa. Matt, how are you doing this afternoon, man?
1: I'm doing great, brother. It's good to see you. First time we've um we've talked on Zoom since... You were promoted to site manager, so That's congrats right. on that. You guys have one of the appreciate best sites. It. I always say it's you guys, it's the Spurs, it's the Golden State Warriors. Those are my three favorite, and the Bad Boys, Bad Boy Pistons. Those are my four favorite SB Nation sites.
0: I appreciate it. it's all love. Yep, yeah, we got a awesome team over Grizzly Bear Blues, and just really excited for you know that first full season, but. Mm. But with, with August, you know, there's not a lot of moves right now, but Matt, you've kind of taken advantage of that to start a series. And that's something that you've really developed a specialty in is these series style features. This one's called Blazing the Trail. So what was the inspiration behind uh, this series and just kind of what, are, what you're trying to capture uh, through these different articles that you would be posting?
1: Yeah. I mean, the inspiration was basically, to be blunt, I just wanted to do something historical this offseason. I'm not like a huge um, draft person. I don't, you know, I think that there's like, there's an art to it. There's a science to it, you know, watching like international press, but prospects, high school prospects, all that stuff is just, it's not my niche. And I think that we have enough people in those niches covering them properly for, for me not to have to worry about that. Whereas historically, I think it showed with the top 75 in some of the omissions that were made, like with Dwight Howard, um, that we, we don't, we don't really know. At least we don't remember as much about NBA history as we should, or not even just that, I guess the people covering at the time weren't like, they didn't know what we needed to know about basketball to properly cover those guys. You know what we know now we have, like the thing I like to say all the time is like, we have more, like in-depth historical articles on Amir Coffee, who, by the way, fine player, hell a player, he's going to have a nice career. Then we do someone like, say, Mark Price, right? Who, you know, historically Mark Price, better basketball player than Amir Coffee. So that was, that was pretty much the main inspiration. Um, the message of each of these stories, I think it's important to spotlight the individual player, their impact, but I think it's more so about the development of the certain skill, the certain theme, like for instance with steve nash it's more so about the evolution of the not traditionally athletic guard and how you know ways have kind of the way the game has changed has made it so that we can have players like that not only like do well in the nba but be the drivers be the the captains of high level like elite level offenses
0: right and it's a really cool series i mean i I caught up on your Rashard Lewis and Steve Nash one. And I must say those those were awesome. They rocked. And I think one thing too, that you, you mentioned there too, it's not only that they weren't covering the game with everything we need to know. They just don't have the access that we do. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't have, they don't have access to all these film libraries Or like, no one's running a film dive or anything because they don't have the footage to do so, or they didn't have the footage or the, Capabilities to do so. They don't have cleaning the glass, b-ball index, PBB stats. Hell, bar- they barely had the NBA website with the amount of stats they had. If anything, it was probably just simple, you know, points, rebounds, assists, steals, field goal percentage, all that. They they just didn't have the analytical tools that we have now. And so the fact that you're able to go back in, capture all that, and it to how it's impacting the game today. That's some big time stuff. Big time stuff to cover when there's really nothing going on except for the everlasting debate of where Kevin Durant's going to go, when Donovan Mitchell is getting traded to the Knicks. Yeah, Um, just the pointless debate. Not pointless. I mean, a lot of them do have points, but the same debates that we have on Twitter for two months until we actually get basketball. So it's very refreshing and. You know, I have you on this talking about this NBA-wide series um, on a Grizzlies podcast because you're covering one of the first, I guess, fan favorites of the Memphis Grizzlies franchise. Um, ironically, the person who my uh, – it was the first jersey of a Grizzlies player my dad ever bought me. And so, Matt, I want to let That's you – pretty awesome. I know. It's some pretty cool stuff. And now now we're old. So – uh, I, I want to kind of let you uh, introduce the player that you're going to be talk uh, writing about in this week's edition of your series that by the time our listeners are listening to this, it should be live on basketball news um, later in the week, whether Thursday, Thursday or Friday, but kind of just tell the audience who you're writing about in this blazing the trail series next. And just why that player, because this player isn't a star or anything like You went through Steve Nash and Rashard Lewis. Quite easy players to go up and follow historically because they they were truly kind of revolutionary in their own ways. But why this guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, so some listeners who are familiar with Michael Lewis may know him as the No Stats All-Star, and that's uh, Shane Battier. The reason – so honestly, like I pitched Shane Battier because at the time I just reread – the Michael Lewis piece. So it was like fresh on my mind. So when me and my bosses were deciding which 10 players we we're going to do over at basketball news, they're kind of like, like, man, you know, not to burst your bubble, but like, he just doesn't fit in with the other nine guys. And that made yeah. me even more determined because I'm like, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Shane Daddy. And I talk about it. Um, Again, this is the point of spotlighting these specific players is because, you know, they represent the skill set I'm trying to talk about. And with Battier, it's the the evolution of scouting reports. You know, he used much more sophisticated scouting reports. So what the scouting reports used to look like before Battier and, you know, he coalesced with Daryl Morey, but before that, it used to be what they would call a qualitative scouting report. So you get a player like uh, um, the one he always uses is Kobe Bryant. And he'd say, like, you know, Kobe Bryant, great right hand, great first step, great fadeaway, great competitor. And that was, like, the scouting report. And, I mean, what do you do with that, you know? Okay, cool. I know these things. I could have figured it out from 10, 20 minutes of watching this guy. But with Battier, with those Rockets teams, they were able to create scouting reports for him where it's like, okay, if Kobe Bryant dribbles to his left, takes one dribble, and takes a pull up from there. It's like a forty one percent shot or something like that. As opposed to if he does it from his right, it's like a sixty percent shot. And you know, Battier pretty much had the the tendencies down pat of all his favorite. Not his favorite because I don't think he enjoyed going against them. But he was able to figure out how to guard all of these like big time volume scores. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but there's a really nice chart on there that kind of shows the the effect he has on these volume scorers so yeah i kind of want to highlight that because think about okay think about this past nba finals i think one of the big themes one of the big turning points is when the warriors decided okay we're going to force tatum and brown left like you can't tell me that isn't like a nod an ode to shane battier what shane battier was doing you know what i mean for him so like just for that um that reason, I guess, I really wanted to spotlight the development of data in basketball.
0: You know, that is a really cool twist in, into this series because, I mean, from your first two, it's about playing styles and mm-hmm. now getting kind of deeper into the scouting reports, the data. I mean, yeah, like again, it goes back to the access thing. We have so much more access now, and that goes not just for us writers, it goes for scouting departments, front yeah, I'll, offices, I'll... coaching staff, coaching staffs It's crazy. It's so crazy. And I know he right now, mm. I want to say he's still with the Miami Heat, right? So,
1: yeah, I found out. Okay, because, like, if you look on the, like, uh, you know, his basketball reference on Google, on Wikipedia, it says he left his his role he was in with the Heat because he was, like, the head of the analytics department. And he has done that. But when I interviewed him, he actually told me that he still does do some, like, consultation, Um, I think he, he honestly like does consultation for like the owner. Like he's in direct contact with the owner, but um, I know that for a fact that David Fisdale was telling me, he kind of Battier is kind of the one who, who coached David Fisdale to get him ready for that jump into, you know, the front office level. I know David Fisdale just accepted that Mm -hmm. job with the Utah jazz, but um, one interesting story, you mentioned the scouts. So Ivan Kelly, he used to be a scout for the supersonics for about 20 years. Right. And I, I just talked to him recently for the Sean Kemp portion of the series. And he was telling me that his job would be to go to the home games and not the home games. He would go to the games in his region. They had like regional scouts or whatever. And um, he had a pencil paper and like, you had to catch it there, what you were going to write down. Like you had to see it that time live. There was no, I'm going to watch this four or five times in slow motion. I'm going to change the camera angle. You know, I'm gonna post it on Twitter and ask like my friends what they think of this. It was you got it then or you didn't, so I don't think it was so much like negligence on the part of scouts. I think they did the best job they could, and I think they wanted to know as much about basketball as they possibly could. But you know, they're just like you said, the access was so different
0: the access and technology, it's really unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we talk about you know, Shane Battier, high IQ role player. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there is a from the time of basketball, from Bill Russell's time to now, like smart role players are ne- are necessities for championship teams and for playoff teams for winning basketball teams. And Shane Battier was that guy. And you know, I, I do think that kind of his role with the Grizzlies, um, just kind of who would have guessed that his role kind of shined light on what the NBA would eventually evolve to today. Uh, I did a quick basketball reference dive. and In his first five seasons with the Memphis Grizzlies, he averaged – and obviously, he had like a very inflated rookie season because it was really him and Powell's team. It was their first season in Memphis. And then once they started to accumulate more talent, Battier kind of slid into his role perfectly. But he averaged 10.5 points, a little less than five rebounds, a little under two assists. So, yeah, 10.5, 4.8, 1.7. I was roughly 2.5 stocks per game, while shooting 45% from the field and 38% from three. And I remember as a kid, we always talk about I was always like, "Oh man, Shane Battier loves that corner." But and now we just kind of see how those areas, you know, the the hot the wings with the high stock numbers, good at corner threes, um, just kind of just decision makers, quick decision makers, good good and smart positional rebounders. He's really kind of set this blueprint up to today of, I guess, how to go from, and quite frankly, a guy who was a decorated college basketball player to someone who transitioned from that into a supporting role where his role was going to be not down corner threes, defend the opposing team's go-to score, um, and really just be a high-end glue guy he's really kind of set that blueprint up for a lot of players. And I am very interested to see whenever, like you don't have to say it on it now, but like I'm very interested to see like who he like plays that trail. to. you have that little graphic at the mm-hmm. end of your post, the
1: genealogy
0: chart, the genealogy chart. Yeah. I'm very, like, I just kind of see like, yeah. When you said you pitch Shane Battier about, and I'm like, oh, God, does, he doesn't really fit that MO. But he you talk about it like this? He does. He does fit mm-hmm. that MO.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Do I want to talk about the G? I mean, so when I asked him about it, he actually laughed because he's like, there's nobody in the NBA like me. Like, nobody's that slow anymore. Hey, Um, Kyle Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The most obvious one, I guess, would be Draymond. Draymond's obviously, he's taken no stats all-star to a whole new level where it's like with Battier, you know, he's the no stats guy who he might be an all-star where when Draymond was at his peak, he's like the no stats guy who might be a top 10 player in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like the next, the next evolution of that. One guy I found really interesting, and again, I don't want to talk too much about it just because I don't want to uh, take away everything, but he actually said, he said, he sees a lot of Thibault. that's sees a lot really of himself good in Thibault, right? And it's like interesting because we think of Thibault as like this, this kind of like vortex, you know, he's wild. He's kind of He's the exact opposite of Battier in terms of like mindset. Where Battier is like this robotic, you know, methodical. He's like a like a seasoned um, bounty hunter. You know, he knows exactly what he needs to do, how many steps he needs for it, um, what the hunt's going to look like, all that stuff. Whereas Thibault's like runs around so much, he's crazy. He gambles a lot, you know, all these things. But so that, I mean, that gives me a lot of hope if we're projecting young players for Thibel moving forward. But um, the Kyle Anderson one's funny. I, I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, he doesn't have that corner three down, but I mean, mm-hmm. when most Better of the time passer, when, though. oh yeah, as a passer, as a processor, and just kind of as his versatile defender, because this is something I want to get to in a minute, because with Shane Battier's versatility, I think he was a just kind of one of the, the tickets uh, to smaller basketball you know you can maintain that size and play him at the 3 and he's not going to lose much because you know he could defend guys like Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. it's not out of place for him but i just remember like whenever you know we agreed to this podcast you know just the random memory box just started churning a little bit and i just remember like reading like one of the programs they give you before the game and it had projected starting lineups and it was like obviously i think it was like uh jason williams mike miller James Posey, Shane Battier, Paul Gasol, and then you had you know your Steve Nash, Joe Johnson, Quentin Richardson, Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, and it was like talking about like there's a stretch where Battier was playing at the four, but that's like his role today. It's like this combo mm-hmm. four plays the three of the four. He could defend the post. He could defend out on the perimeter. So like in theory, would be able to switch, and you know with that, his three point shooting is just the. I, Taylor Jenkins talks about this all the time, like about smaller basketball. It's not about playing smaller. It's about getting as many playmakers out on the floor as possible. And all that like, kind of shows for Shane Batty. Do you see him as just, his versatility as being that ticket to kind of shapeshift uh, into different roles and kind of just, you know, a little bit of a forecast into what the NBA was about to become from a positional standpoint?
1: Yeah. Um. So it's it's funny you mentioned that. I'm going to see if you remember this. 2003. How old would you be? 2003? I was seven. Okay. So you may remember this. I was watching a couple of weeks ago, 2003, Utah Jazz. So it's the last year of Carl Malone, John Stockton against the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies were going through this stretch where they were really beat up. And it ended up being where it was Earl Watson. No, was it Earl or CJ Watson was the starting point guard. He was like their young up and coming guard who... Ended up having to start one of the brothers, but um, and then Shane Battier had to be the the starting small forward and the backup point guard, just because they were so depleted. And I thought that was so funny, because like a guy like Shane Battier, you don't you know, and he'll tell you this, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to run the point guard, but um, yeah, I do agree, he was kind of this you know futuristic. He could go play the four. I know that actually the year he played the most for was his last year in Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, five oh six, he played the most for. In Miami, when he they played small, they put LeBron at the four and they'd have Battier at the three. But yeah, I do agree. He didn't give up too much because he was he was strong for his size, but more importantly, he had really good fronting techniques. He had um he'd go full front. He wasn't afraid to he was good at fronting uh Carmel Anthony. He always used to give him fits fronting him. And he, you know, he was one of the keys with defense is just trusting the back line is gonna be there. And so he was able to. Um, kind of front without, without fear, fearlessly front. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I I agree with you pretty much on all the things you said there with his versatility. I know that the Rockets also used to run; they would run. So you know, they had Yao Ming and Scola, two like seven foot guys. And I remember I saw a lineup one time where it's like Chuck Hayes the five and Batty eight the four. And this is when they're both healthy, Ming and Scola. And I'm just like, okay, this is cool. I like this. You know, I like the futuristic thinking. But yeah, so I agree.
0: Yeah. And you're I mean, you're also probably a bad thing. You're probably like a fan or an analyst is like, why do they have skull or Yao out there? Why yeah. are we running Chuck no. Hayes and Shane Battier lineups out here? But again, it's, another another forecast and in, into projecting out how the NBA was going to shape shift years down the line into now. Also I know you said you watched primarily like Rockets basketball, a little mm-hmm. bit of heat basketball when it, talking about Shane Battier, but you went that far into Grizzlies basketball, you know, that 2003 time. And so yeah. my first team I ever followed was like right after that, the 0304. Mm-hmm. But like I, I, I routinely think about this every now and then, they had so many wings that would fit in today's NBA with Battier, Mike Miller, James Posey, Bonzi Wells. They had the two up, up-tempo point guards with Jason Williams and Earl Watson. They had Powell who can go four or five. They had Lorenzen Wright, who's that bruising traditional five that just does the dirty work, gets the rebounds, block shots. That's really it. And then you had the, the lob thread off the bench with Strow Miles Swift. It was just like, I'm like, I think every now and then I'm like, that's actually like a, that would actually be a really solid modern NBA team with the way that like, just a bunch of wings with size point guard pass first point guards and your star players is hybrid post big man who could either get in the post or take guys off the dribble out on the perimeter. I was like I, yeah I was, I was glad that was my first team I ever got to follow. There could have been so many other teams, bad teams at the Grizzlies yeah follow, but that was my you wouldn't be
1: covering me. you wouldn't be covering this team if that if got you had me to follow all the ones before the way that.
0: in oh yeah. But yeah, I, I just think it's really cool to see how, um, just kind of looking back and tying, tying that kind of stuff in and seeing like, wow, like this stuff actually also would have worked in like today's league too, which is the, the skill sets of those guys. It was more just like basketball, just basketball wasn't thought of the same way back Mm -hmm. then and it's, it's really cool. Like, in stuff that you're doing is to kind of go back and appreciate that, but also tie it into today's NBA.
1: Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because um, think about who one of everybody's favorite broadcasters is today. At least in my opinion, I see people give him a lot of love Hubie Brown. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. It's incredible that he's the old guy that takes time to learn about today's game and he makes really good points. He, he was their coach. Correct me if I'm wrong. This team you're talking about,
0: that 0-3-0-4 team, and that yeah. 2002 2003 team that you watched. He was their coach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, and he, you know, you could kind of see like coaches like that, like him, like Jeff Van Gundy. They they knew that the stuff that me and you are just now learning, like two years ago, three years ago. They they knew all that stuff. It's just the only thing is like the one thing, the biggest thing I've learned about this project is that the X's and O's have always. They're pretty much the same stuff. Same Mm -hmm. sets is just more space on the court. Now there's more space and they're just better shot making. That's pretty much the main difference. Like those, those little post splits, the golden state warriors run. I mean, the Utah jazz were spamming them in the nineties, you know, the seventies blazers were running those plays. So yeah, it's nothing has changed on the X's and O's front. It's just this, they're just more surface area on the court now.
0: Right. And, you know, I, I think this is like also like really cool that we're we're talking about this at this moment because i actually remember one of my f- first ever blog posts i ever made mm-hmm. was a fan post on gbb full circle now and i'm just dying to kind of i'm just dying to kind of know where that is now but it was a right player wrong era piece about shane Batty. and i'm like okay now i'm like dying to find that because of one I wonder how bad my writing was then. And two, that's just it's just a, such a full circle kind of moment. but I want to go over to a little bit, ad break and then kind of expand on this conversation. I'm just talk about Shane Batty about other past Grizzlies players. Talk about the question of the day I posted on my personal Twitter yesterday. So do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. So thank you to those that participated in the question of the day. I know it was a little bit non-traditional than what's used to on GBB live, where we typically just kind of. Run it as a poll that you can vote on. So to whoever answered, I appreciate you. Um, Chiming in, giving your answers, giving your thoughts. So, Matt, I want to ask you first, which former Grizzly could either be – and by former Grizzly, I mean like G&G or pre-Great Grind. not, not Basically not somebody who we've already seen in the modern NBA. Who would you want to see in today's NBA? Who would be awesome?
1: I mean, you know, obviously Battier, but just for the, the, uh, the fun part. Um, I think that I think two guys that I really want to see. So Jason Williams, uh, I know the highlights a little bit overblown of what it really was, but I think that the turnovers would have come down if he had the space again, if he had that space to work with and he has that on ball juice, I feel like he would be such a great, like not like a change of pace guard, like what Jordan Poole was in the finals this year. I feel like Jason Williams could play that kind of role where he's a change of pace guard. You give him 20 minutes. Those 20 minutes are high usage. Your eyes are glued to him the whole time he's on the court. So there's that. And then Mike Miller, I think with, he had the movement shooting chops. I know they'd run a ton of floppy back then. It's not really as much of a thing, but I mean, that movement shooting, he was a better defender than people remember. I mean, he was a big body, strong. um, He was long. So I think that those two guys would be really fun. And it's kind of that whole team you mentioned. I think Powell was lucky. I think no, I think Powell was like right era for his time, perfect era mm-hmm. kind of guy. He peaked at the right time. Not lucky. He would have been a really good player in this era. But I'm just saying for maximizing that career. Um, Posey, Posey would have been fun. It might take. I gotta stop talking. I'm taking them all. It's, it's your turn.
0: Go <laughs> no, it's all good. You know, you mentioned some of the ones I said. I mean, with Mike Miller um obviously you mentioned you know he's more known for his outside shooting and quite frankly he might be one of the most underrated shooters of hmm. the the 20 uh, the 2000s um you know he shot in his first stint in Memphis he had a little second stint uh towards the end of his career where he shot like 45 percent from three or something like that and really just kind of shot with every shots everyone with how he's able to stay healthy but I mean Five threes a game, roughly five threes a game, forty percent from three in his uh, first stint in Memphis over about five or six seasons. That that's elite stuff for, as a shooter. And like you said, they ran a lot of stuff off movement for him. And mm-hmm. it, it was always really cool to see, like, you know, w- once he shot the ball, everyone just kind of assumed it was going in. He was one of those kinds of shooters. But there he, was just the old so, shit shooter. He was a what? The oh-shit shooter. The oh-shit shooter. I like that. I might need to start using that one. But it was also just the fact that he was just more than a shooter. I mean, if you look at his splits, he shot more twos than threes, and he still was fairly efficient, not, not the best. He's, he wasn't this, like, freaky two-point scorer, mid-range scorer, like, but he could attack closeouts and get to the rim. Uh, averaged five rebounds a game he had a lot of grab and go kind of stuff where he just kind of goes in and grabs a rebound and then immediately initiates offense and then he also averaged a little over three assists a game so just had a lot of stuff that people didn't recognize in his game really one of the more underrated role players in that aspect I, I think maybe you kind of He gets properly rated because it's like he has that that one shoe finals game where he hit like seven threes to close it out for Miami. But you know, I always think he's just a guy where, you know, if you wanted to slot him at the two and play him big and play big, that's cool. He's probably in that three spot, but also too, if you just wanted to have space in Nirvana, you could play him at the four and not really run into a whole lot of issues there. So that's definitely my number one. Um, obviously you mentioned James Posey already, just classic three and D slashing wing can occasionally hit the three, but it's that's not his calling card, but he's just gonna be a very good slasher and cutter. I would love to see him next to, you know, playmakers like Ja or Trey Young, Nikola Jokic. Um, I mean, we got to see him with LeBron, but it was at the end of his career, so that's a little unfair. But a guy like LeBron or Luca, um, and then this is gonna be like a little like deep cut just for the sake that it was so recent but I would love to see Courtney Lee with today's NBA principles because his three-point rate was so low for someone who was such a good three-point shooter I want to say basketball reference in his time in Memphis his three-point attempt rate was like between 32 and 34 percent of his shots came from three and he was just such a good shooter where like you're thinking like okay imagine if he was that third or he was that combo guard off the bench like kind of so much like a role melton took this past year how many like where he's like three point attempt rates at like 50 what would he be like as a player nowadays compared to what he was in the early to mid 2010s
1: yeah no i think that's a good one i mean we kind of got to see more uh, shots taken from him in the Orlando days with all the mm-hmm. the excess spacing. Uh, we talk about that Magic team with Rashard a little bit, and he also thing about Courtney Lee that really dawned on me was interesting. And That kind of reminds me of Melton. He did have the ball handling juice. He he could run like pick and rolls and stuff occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um. So and of course, like you you know the defense, really good defender when he was healthy. But yeah, that's a that's a that is a good one and a a very deep cut.
0: Yeah. And also too, like a guy that we didn't mention, and I think we probably would have gotten to see him in the uh in the modern NBA, but just circum different outside circumstances prevented that. But OJ Mayo, OJ Mayo would have been such a fun combo mm-hmm. guard, six man off the bench in today's uh NBA. He was embracing that in his last season in Memphis. You know, he started out as this dynamic scoring two guard, and everyone's like, this dude might be like legit, like. He might be that next star shooting guard in the league. And then the Grizzlies started winning and it wasn't primarily because of him and his role diminished. But he's another guy that would have been so much fun to watch in the NBA. Uh, Stroh Miles Swift, good lob threat. Kind of had motor issues though. So, but I mean, when you're thinking like, oh, slotting him at the small ball five around four shooters and just spamming pick and roll, having him as a lob threat off the bench, that'd be pretty fun. but. Those are kind of just some I kind of came up with off the top of my head. Obviously, it's, it's natural for me to do this as someone who's been watching Grizzly games now for about 20 years or so.
1: Hey, man, it's, it, this is the perfect time to have Grizzly stock. They're young. They're fun. Everybody loves them. They got a superstar.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree on that. It's definitely a fun time to be a fan. I, oh, there is. Granted, it wasn't prime and i'm sure he would have been an awesome part of your series Tayshawn prince like prime prince would have been he would have been kind of a little bit of a cheat in today's nba with just his, his how he could play off the dribble his mid-range shot defensive versatility his his playmaking that that would have been another guy who would have been really fun to watch in today's nba
1: yeah one thing i will say that is um so this is going to sound like Kind of uh kind of circular the logic here. But um so one thing I've realized, okay, if you really break it down, let's say Richard Lewis, right? He's already been talked about. Richard had seasons where he was an all-star, like mm-hmm. impact-wise, not just he got voted by an all-star, like by the all-star committee. And part of it's because he was a stretch for before that was a thing. You know, he zagged when others would zig. And I think that gives you. In terms of impact, obviously, in terms of the way we cover him, it gave him a disadvantage because he was different. But in terms of the actual impact on the court, that gives him an advantage. Whereas if you take Rashard Lewis and put him in today's game, he looks like, um, I'm trying to say something without offending anyone because I know Rashard's like an awesome player, but he looks like a sub all-star. You know what I mean? He looks like a top 50, top 75 player because a lot of people, what he's doing, his value is like, it's been repopulated already. We have a lot of guys who can mimic what Rashard's doing today. To some degree whereas back then it's like this he's different he's way different and same thing with battier where it's like him being able to use data in a way that no one else really knew how to work to his advantage and that's why while the people covering him underrated him like impact wise that was probably his best situation whereas you put him in today's game and i'm sure he'd say the same thing to you he's you know his just because he knows how to use these numbers there's a lot of guys who know how to do that now you know there's a lot of guys right. who know how to focus you vote force you into weak spots you know what i mean so i guess like we talk about like oh i'd love to see this guy in today's game and it's like true their skill sets would get to get to be personified more well i think they benefited impact wise the fact that they were revolutionaries
0: mm-hmm. no i i totally i totally get that and that's that's kind of like that kind of grain of salt it's just like oh this player was awesome in that era but it's really tough to cross era a lot because of those differences Because i mean Hell, you could probably make the same the same argument about some other players in today's NBA where it's like, yeah. well, they may not have been as good because there wasn't this emphasis on the three-point shot or they like, there's a little bit more physicality. You don't know if they can match up with that physicality. And then that era, I know that's the common ones, the physicality aspect. I did come up with your uh, non-disrespectful Richard Lewis comment. It would probably be someone like Harrison Barnes.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I like so I like Michael Porter Jr. He can't stay healthy right now, but I think yeah. he's got a very similar game to Richard.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. But uh, Matt, we're about running out of time here for today's episode. Just is there anything else that you want to say? Anything that you uh, anything you want to plug in? Anything else that you got chopping up besides the uh, Blaze the Trail series?
1: Um, I mean, I'll have like some articles coming out. Uh, on some stuff that interests me, but mostly it's just Blazing the Trail right now on basketballnews.com. It's also a podcast. The, the interviews you can hear, the full-length interview on Apple Podcasts, Blazing the Trail, part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. Um, yeah, so I'm just, honestly, I'm just doing the historical stuff, getting ready for the season. I'm super excited to cover the league again and cover that beautiful Grizzlies team, a very fun Grizzlies team. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, find all my work there at Mattisa15. Really appreciate talking to you, Parker. It's always it's always a joy, man. We got to get on before this season starts.
0: I know we'll have to do this again here soon, man. But yeah, make sure you're checking out all of his work, where all the many bylines that he's at. Just follow him on Twitter at Matt Isa15, and you'll get at all of his posts. You'll get all his breakdowns on Twitter, and make sure you're also checking out basketball news for his Blaze of Trail series and read his one coming out on Shane Battier, one of the first Grizzly greats we've we've had. And just ma- make sure you're checking. He's he's a good dude that does good work. And that, that's an easy follow right there. So follow him if you don't already do so. And make sure you follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog on Twitter at SVN Grizzlies for everything Grizzlies content related. And make sure you're checking out grizzlybearblues.com and the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss a single episode of soon, our 5GDB podcast. So it's going to be fun a fun time to be a Grizz fan, fun time to be uh, just following along. Uh, we have a lot of great people doing coverage for the Grizzlies, both in a local and a national scale. But yeah, um, that's all Damn, for this week. You know. We'll be back soon. uh Grind forth Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I hear you.